Hello and welcome to another episode of Stories to Screen. My name is Lorna Child and today I'm joined with an incredibly well-known actor who's performed both on stage and television a huge amount of times and been the voice of many favourite characters from popular children's television shows such as The Tweenies and Noddy's Adventures in Toyland. It is of course Bob Golding. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, Lorna. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, it's great. In fact, um, uh, your your computer just let me know that recording is in progress. I know. Which I was it's quite... weird. It's quite freaky, actually. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard that before. Flying on you. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. So I know you obviously from being Milo in the Tweenies, but you've done yeah. way more than that. I didn't even know that you were Max as well. Yes, it was a weird uh, labour of love, that, because we started off just developing it, um, Justin Fletcher and I, um, uh, along with the other voices in 1998. Uh, and we didn't know who we were going to be voicing. We were just putting voices of potential characters down on tape in those days, on cassette, and sent them off to the producers who then sent them to the BBC. And the BBC said, yep, great, we'll go with that. And we had no clue what, we, what was um, about to happen. Mm. And so when we when we did get involved straight away with it, it uh, changed my life. It changed my life for in, in many, many reasons, but uh, not least of which was my all my days, uh, six days a week for the next four years, near enough, were, were taken up with the tweenies. I was going to say, uh, it must so, have taken over your life, really. So did you have to go to the studio every day and record it there? Or? Yeah, there was, because um, everyone, are, uh, lots of people have asked me over the years, how, how do you make an episode of, Tweenies, and it was quite a long, painstaking process that mm. we honed down to the most cost-effective and time-effective uh, method, which basically, at the beginning, it meant, this is um, in 1998, just before we, we went on air in 1999, I think it was yeah. September. Um, I know, it might have been earlier than that. No, no, I think it was September. Anyway, um, and we had to learn, um, as actors, we had to learn this animatronic system, which, because as the, I don't know if you know this, but the voices on Tweenies, Hmm. We controlled the faces uh, of the of the of the heads as well. I didn't so, know that. Um, we had we we had no idea how to do this. We just knew how to do silly voices uh, hmm. and and you know do and, and we're actors, so we we just take the direction and do what we're told. But uh, most of the training process at the beginning was to do with uh, a lovely chap called Neil Scanlon, who designed the heads, um, which had moving servos in them which made the eyelid, you know, eyebrows go up and the, obviously the blinks and the jaw, and we could make a ooh sound and an e sound, and, a, uh, um, and just learning how to do that was crazy. Took up all day, every day for about, I think about six weeks or so, but they were huge, great big machines that you put your hands in and mm. each finger did a different sort of servo move, the end of your fingers. And then the, the, the jaw was on your right-handed, if you were right-handed yeah. uh, thumb. But there were the pre-recorded moves that we had on pedals as well, so that they could go wow or whatever. So you just push one pedal. <laughs> I mean, it was it was like learning to drive again. It was really and so Justin and I, and and Colleen and Sally, who were the main voices on it at the right at the very beginning, we didn't. We had a real baptism of fire trying to learn this system. It was great. Um, once we we'd mastered that, then of course the whole process of making the uh, the. Uh, the show uh, started to happen, which oh, was, um, I mean, I could talk you through it. We, we broke it down into two sections in as much as there was the tweenies inside the nursery, um, yeah. which was all the studio stuff. 
that we did. So um, we used quite short, um, no taller than five foot um, actors, skin actors, they're called skin actors. Uh, and they put the costumes on uh, and, and all the set of the, the, um, the, the nursery, all the doors were like nine, nine and a half feet tall. So it was all scaled up to make the kids look smaller. Uh, and then we had very tall, well, one very tall person, Simon Grover, who played both Max and Judy in the oh. costumes. And when, when they were in a scene together, they did split screen. So the same, it was quite unusual. I mean, it was great for him because oh. he got to use two different physicalities. Um, and the weird thing was, um, Max sort of turned into this culmination of his dad and my dad. He ended up sort of looking and talking a bit like both of our dads, which is quite strange. Oh, wow. Um, it was a real uh, I mean a real bonding exercise and at first it wasn't that easy because the skin actors would they would start off by getting the scripts and they would rehearse all the scenes and the voice actors we would be off in another room learning the songs with the musical director so when we came into the process all the skin actors knew what they were doing with the scenes and the, and yeah. the episode and we didn't so we'd have to watch them do it so they were playing, so there was another actor called um, Chris Beck, who played Milo. He would be just his normal self, not in a costume, and rehearsing the scenes going, oh, Fabaruni coming over here, you know. Do, and then I would make notes of where he was going, how long he took to get there. And then we have a go. They don't speak, but they do all the actions. And we do the, oh, Fabaruni, oh, God, come on, Jakey. You know, we, did, we put all that on top. Then they put their costumes on. And then we, uh, well, actually, no, they didn't put their costumes up. We recorded it then when they were doing it in situ. Then they put their costumes on and then we got the camera crew and everyone was in. So it was all on playback coming through their ears and our ears. So they acted live to all the live stuff that we were, we'd already pre-recorded. And we um, animatronically controlled the faces live at the, at the time. So, I mean, it just, it was a very long drawn out process and that's why we were in six days a week. The other section, cause that was only one section. The other section was when we were on location. So we have to, uh, we used to have to go all, oh, we went all around Europe, really. We went as far as uh, Tenerife and uh, we went Isle of Wight and Jersey and right up to Scotland, the highest, you know, then uh, Hebrides and then right down in Dover and Penzance where Lizard Point, you know. So it was a real, we got to see the country. It was amazing in that sense. Mm. But I had to go on all the locations because I was Max and Max was in pretty oh, much yeah. every episode. He used to go around with Matt, didn't he? Yeah. There was an awkward first series that we did, which we don't, you don't really see anywhere now. There's no copies of it around. And that's where the skin, um, sorry, the voice actors, we had to learn how to use the puppets, which were really heavy. Um, and they were quite clunky. I mean, they looked great, but they, they were just very clunky. We, we'd be, you know, have to be on our knees doing these really heavy puppets. We'd never puppeteered before. So you try doing that for three minutes mm. with your arm up there with weight on it. You, all the blood drains from your arms and you couldn't do it. So they start wilting and, and they start, started looking a bit weird. And oh, they were no. scaled down. Yeah, they were scaled down versions of Milo, Bella, Fizz and, and Jake. Uh, so that didn't work after the first year they said look let's cut that and we just put Max or Judy out on every episode and it was mostly Max so I had to be on all the locations in case it was raining and yeah. we had to re-record bits and bobs so it was that was lovely but then that again that was very time consuming took up all all our time and then of course that went on to a second series and then a third series and then we did uh, what were called interstitial safety interstitials which lasted best part of a year 
recorded little shorts basically so yeah it was a huge thing but max was max was my favorite because it was kind of well only because you could have more of a laugh as an adult Mm. um whereas you know jakey milo you had to keep within the perimeters of him him being three and a half four years old Mm. so we even though they were quite well spoken and they good at communication we couldn't really go too too far with the ad libbings and you know whereas max was off there's lots of me and there's lots of simon and there's lots of simon's dad and lots of my my dad in in max so we had we had a lot of fun with, with that bit that was that was my favorite bit. Do you ever so, meet you know, them? yeah all the time yeah yeah no i'm still in contact with colleen um who was the voice of fizz colleen daly yeah. she she and i have stayed friends for 20 odd years now sally who was the original bella Mm. uh she's she's just made two of my um dame costumes for pantomime Uh, so she's she was always a maker she did voices she did um uh, poppy stop and stuff like that before and loads of other stuff actually before we we did tweenies but she was all she would always make costumes and and um uh puppets and things like that she's a puppeteer really uh so that's that was that led on to tweenies for her it was a nice job but um uh she left us after about year and a half and mm. then uh, emma emma uh, oh god this is awful emma emma weaver lovely emma she she came in and t- sort of very cleverly mimicked what sally had been doing for the last you know 160 episodes oh, sure. uh, and and she took over as bella then all the way to the end mm. but we had a huge rotation of, of skin actors that were in the costumes there was a main core for the first two series and then uh, the show got so big that there was all these live shows going out there so there was at some time two or three teams of 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 tweenies going out doing stuff around the country we played i mean they played wembley uh, the yeah. albert hall i think we outsold kylie minogue in ticket sales one year and robbie williams yeah it, it got crazy it was a really fun interesting time of my life actually yeah. for all of us oh, I love and the then <laughs> uh, then it all then it all went away yeah then it yeah. all finished but all good all good things must come to an end Yes. Well, wh- how did you start getting into that? Because wh- what did you start off doing? Was it panto? Yeah. Uh, no. I mean, I've I've been a professional actor since 1989, mm. um, and done everything from rep- repertory theatre was one of my main sort of stuff I did at the beginning. So doing Shakespeare's and Alan Akebourne mm. plays, and uh, and then and I did a lot of northern northern country reps. So I was at Stoke. I was at um, uh, Harrogate, Bolton, um, Coventry. Uh, it was a really good learning ground to to learn the industry, and we, you got to work with older actors as well. Yeah. So you learned from them. It was fantastic. Uh, and then one, I only did one panto before um, before Tweenies, and that was with the producers of Tweenies. So they oh. they were producing the panto, and they were pitching to the BBC for a preschool live action show, and mm. so they they. They worked with the teams that they were working at at the time, and that was us. We did Sleeping Beauty at the Belgrade in Coventry, yeah. And then they said, right, we need a good team of actors to get some really cool voices down. Mm. Can you work on it? So we did. And uh, luckily, you know, it turned out okay for us. I mean, it changed. Well, I was able to buy a house. Uh, I mean, Mm. uh, you know, it it paid very well uh, and gave some stability, which I'd never had as an actor. I mean, you never really get that kind of assurance that money's going to, come in and you're going to be able to support your family and over those tweeny years um, I got married and had uh, three kids and so it was ever more important to to be 
financially stable and f to do that in m my chosen job was a dream come true you know it's a real godsend so uh, yeah I feel very very honored to have to have done tweenies it's I mean, it changed everything really so yeah so you've done more um characters since the tweenies haven't you when you're noddy as well yeah. are you noddy I, I am not actually Noddy himself, no. no. Uh, but I've, I've I've done two different series of Noddy. Um, uh, one one um, was the original was called Noddy in Toyland, I think, mm. um, and there was PC Plod and uh, oh. Wiz, and uh, I've played several characters. And um, and then then they that those series went out, they stopped airing, and then another company uh, attached to DreamWorks, funny enough, they wanted to make Noddy again. Um, at the at the Noddy Toyland Detective, I think it was called, and we did two series of that, and I was completely different characters. Mm. So I played uh, Deltoid, who's um, sort of a muscle-bound, Stretch Armstrong type of character, you know. And he spoke like that. He was very kind of robotic and no emotions in his voice. So oh cool. my goodness me! Yeah, so that was that was nice. Um, I mean, we did. We did off the back of Tweenies. It opened up yeah. the the door to me to to do voice work and 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 again yeah, that's changed you as well. Life. Instead of you auditioning, do they approach you? Yeah, I mean to a degree. I think pretty much everything I've ever done, I've I've had to do a test for. But mm. the voice world is very different from straight acting. In that, when you're when you're going to do a film or a TV role or a theatre, you go along, you learn the part, and you you perform an audition. Whereas with voice you kind of get your script you go to a studio and you you read off a piece of paper so it's kind of half the work is done right in the writing yeah. then you just have to translate it and get the right I think I mean most of the work that you get is because of the work that you do off mic as well as on as in you take a good note you know you listen to what the director and producers are saying and then the next time we do it you do that uh, it, and obviously time is the big thing if you can get it done quickly then we can move on to the next episode and and get it all in the can and get it out and made and animated as quickly as possible so yeah but it did it opened up so many doors I did Dennis the Menace I did Mike the Knight I did oh I've got a list somewhere I did 20 or 30 shows a Thomas the Tank Engine um uh, you know and it, it was a real it still is I'm, I'm today in fact I've been doing a a new uh, a new series called Coop Troop where I'm playing five or six characters in that. So it's, it's, they're still out there, still being made. There was a little period where the British animation uh, industry went quieter because uh, lots of lots of producers couldn't afford to make their shows in this country because of the tax bracket. So they were going to places like Poland. Um, Gdansk was very big and Singapore and um, Sri Lanka and uh, you know other parts of Eastern Europe to make animations because it's much cheaper. So. We 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 went a bit quiet for a while, but it's coming back now because uh, mm. the government a couple of years ago made some tax breaks for animators specifically, so it encouraged them to come back. Good. So I'm starting to do a few more now, which is lovely. Uh, I missed it, you know, I really did miss it. But um, mm. so yeah, long may that continue. But my bread and butter really is adverts, and uh, done a few radio plays as well. But it's mostly, you know, you would have heard me at Christmas doing um, Jakeman's. Uh, for you know the lozenge throat lozenge roll up roll up the Jakeman's throat lozenge it's all that and then I did um, uh, Aldi commercials this year I uh, was Ebanana Scrooge <laughs> uh, in all the Aldi ads yeah so that was good and um, for years I've been doing them uh, Oral-B I was always the kind of 
GoPro with Oral B. You know oh, that kind. That's of, so cool. <laughs> that straight read, yeah. So that that's been the bread and butter since since the tweeny days, twenty three years ago. Yeah. Wow. So, what advice would you give people like me that want to start doing fun stuff like that? What would you suggest? Uh, I mean, it's fun. Uh, that's true, uh, but essentially it's it's a job you know so mm. uh it, it it does it, it does feel like that sometimes like today it was a three-hour session um and so it was, i had to go through seven scripts and you've got to get those scripts done within that time if you don't then you kind of looked at a bit well that's a shame we couldn't get everything done i thought we'd easily do that so the pressure's on you have mm. to read uh you'd be good at sight reading so if you read something for the first time you get it right first time um and you be very, you, you kind of get this um, skill of scanning a page before you say it, so you can look at the syntax and where you breathe, and that's obviously very important. But essentially, uh, anyone can do it if you if you come from that background, perhaps, or or you're just very good at a nice voice like yourself. You, if you go to an agent, um, that you have to get representation, and, yeah. and to get representation, you need a voice reel, so you need like a three or four minute length. Uh, recording of various things that you do mm. and just uh, for the client can hear your voice and where they would pitch you and then they they get the work for you you know it's very rare that I actually phone in anyone up and say can I have a job please it's um thankfully down to my wonderful agents Hobson's International who have uh, oh. kept me going for the, all these years they're good but uh, you know I'll get lots of people almost every day say how do I get an agent and Really, if you if you spend the money in a right in the proper studio, get a good reel. Loads yeah. of engineers know how to make this. I I direct them actually, so I, I could help anyone who wants that. Oh, um, wow. And um, and then get get them out to the agents. But obviously, during this pandemic, the last two years, everyone uh, and their dog wants to do voiceovers because you can easily do it from home. I'm in my home setup now. And it's you know reasonably cost effective, and you don't you, you you minus the cost of going into London and going to a studio, you can just do it from home. Yeah. So unfortunately, lots of the agencies' books now are pretty solid. So, but I think it will. I think there'll be there's going to be a boom again. Things will start coming back to normal now that we we're, we're seeing a decline in Omicron and and all the all the figures around the world. I think now that's slowing down a little bit. We'll, we will change. But my life's changed again since the pandemic because. 95% of what I've done in the last two years has been from this little room. I was going to uh, say, have you been working going into town. Yeah, from home? Yeah, it's been incredible, actually. It's been, uh, at, at first, it was very scary because we didn't know if there would be an industry anymore. We didn't know if people were going to be spending yeah. money because we're, are we still going to be able to go out and buy stuff uh, or is it going to be rationed? You know, it, we didn't know anything, did we? So I had a very stressy phone call with my agent at the time saying, Bob, maybe look at doing other stuff as well because we can't guarantee that there'll be work but they said that to everyone yeah uh, so that was that was squeaky bum time for sure <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah but thankfully um people did carry on using me and I've, I've, I've been a regular the last year for disney plus doing all the coming soon to disney plus you know all that kind of stuff uh without that i'd have been struggling last year but thankfully that they kept us going and we live on a boat here in Northamptonshire yeah, so I was gonna they, say that must be amazing they literally kept us afloat <laughs> oh <laughs> have your children started um, showing signs of following in your footsteps <laughs> uh yes um Lily my middle daughter she's 16 mm. she uh, she she was in the pantomimes with me as well um oh, so after lovely. 
I had a, a long break after uh, doing one panto in, in, in Coventry, but when obviously tweenies and then all the voice work started happening. And then about 10 years ago, well, it's 11 years ago, actually, I started um, uh, doing regular pantos in St Albans, where I used to live at the Auburn mm. Arena. Um, and uh, I was there every year. And Lily, um, she was... She came and auditioned as one of the, the dancers because we have our what we call our juve teams, the juvenile teams, yeah. which are the three, three sets of eight. Uh, and she got in every year and uh, she was actually young Snow White one year, oh, bless uh, her. which was really sweet to see. And she had a solo and everything. So I think I mean, and today she just texted me a, a minute ago saying uh, she's got an audition for the National Youth Theatre. Uh, mm -hmm. coming up that they're coming to her school and she's she's certainly showing signs that she wants to do it but they're all creative all my kids I think we've spoken about this before mm -hmm. but um my eldest daughter Georgie she's she's artistic she's at art college at the moment hoping to go to um, art, uh, university to do uh, well, a wide range of uh, um, art um, and Ernie Ernie's uh, my son who's 12 he's Love he's very name. creative <laughs> quite sporty yeah <laughs> my granddad it's after my granddad really oh. Ernest, Ernest Albert but but my my own is Ernest Victor and Victor's my dad so you know what goes around comes around <laughs> yeah. um and Nella who's two and a half nearly three she's definitely showing signs of performance she loves getting a laugh so she'll she'll look for everyone's approval <laughs> when she says something funny which is really sweet yeah. um but don't don't put your daughter on the stage Mrs Worthington you know it's uh, it's it's a long journey of 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 misery and um debt <laughs> if it's a dream, what i always say is if anyone says what if i want to be an actor what do i do i would always say look don't do it don't do it. think of something else you can do to earn money and to support yeah. yourself and the family but if they really want to do it they'll defy that and they'll find a way of doing it i mean obviously mm -hmm. drama schools and all that kind of stuff well, are there for that reason volunteers aren't they local theater is a good good breeding ground to start that 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 kind of the buds i did amateur theater when i was uh, eight nine ten we did oliver and you know wizard of oz and things like that my mum still says the best thing she's ever seen me is is when i was 14 i, I played the lion in the wizard of oz uh, you know, I've done Burkhoff and Shakespeare and serious theatre and big drama and musicals. And she still says, yeah, it's good, but it wasn't as good as Wizard of Oz, Robert. <laughs> oh. That's it, I'm cursed. <laughs> oh, they must be so proud of you, though. <laughs> it's nice when you're working. Uh, it's the, the tough bit is when, when it goes quiet and then you, you just have to hope for a bit of luck, really. That's what it's all down to, being in the right place. There's so many cliches, but they're so true. You mm. be in the right place at the right time, know the right people um, yeah. and just get timing. Um, I did a play about Eric Morecambe for a few years, a one man play, and he's quoted as saying, someone actually asked him, is, is comedy all about timing? And he said, not all of life is about timing. And, and, and that's probably one of the most profound things he ever said. Mm. Uh, but it is, it really is, isn't it? If you're, if you're not, if you're with the right people, but they don't need anyone, there's no point in doing it. But if you just happen to be in the right place when they need someone, you, you're there and it can change your life you know that's what yeah. happened to me between this and uh, I'm very grateful for the luck that I've got and I think you have to create your own luck a little bit as well yeah definitely I know you're very driven and you know you yeah. if you you've been sat there going what do I want to do I want to write or but I can't get published so you go I know what I'll do I'll start my own publishing house and and then then I can publish my own books and that's really ingenious I think that's what we all have to do in the yeah. creative industries now get out there and do it yourself if you Be believe confident. you can 
then do it. Yeah, do it. I mean, it does take a certain amount of time and obviously some money sometimes. Mm. Uh, but but there'll always be someone who believes in you and, and get the backing of someone to to do it and uh, follow the dream. You know, that's, yeah, it's got to be done, isn't it? Very inspirational words. So who's your favourite character that you've been throughout all the years of what you do? Who's your favourite? Oh, well, I just, I just uh, touched on um, Eric Morecambe there. That was, that was a huge honour for me. I did... Um, I uh, had a mate many years ago, um, a director. He was he was known for directing one man plays, and I said, uh, he said, "Why don't you do a, a one man play, Bob?" I said, "Yeah, I'd like to, but I don't know who about. I don't know what I'd do it on." And uh, he said, "Well, yeah, you should do uh, Eric Morecambe." And my wife at the time said, "Oh, yeah, loads of people said you look like Eric, and you've got the mannerisms of Eric." And I thought, "Yeah, I'll have a look at it." But and then I mentioned that to a mate of mine who's a writer, and he said. Yeah, I love that idea. Oh, who's this uh, director producer? So we we got together with I got my mate who's a writer and my other mate who's the producer and the director together to write this play, create this play about Eric's life, and uh, it developed into uh, you know a big a big part of my life again. Another four and a half five years I was touring oh, and we did a West End run um, uh, at the Duchess Theatre and we uh, nominated for two. Uh, Olivier Awards and won one, which was incredible. And oh, hang on a minute, I think my cat's trying to get in. What are you doing? What are you doing, you silly? <laughs> it's uh, Mrs. Norris. It's Mrs. Norris. She's scratching at the door. Mrs. Norris. She's very nosy. She... My cat's yeah, Mrs. Not Norris. That nosy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. she she is very nosy. But I, I thought it I thought it was Nikki, my wife, trying to get in, but it's not. It's uh, it's <laughs> the cat at the door. She can wait. No, I've got to feed. I've got to feed Nikki, so she's she's probably sitting there thinking, "Where's my dinner?" Oh, <laughs> but um, no, no. But so Eric, for me, that to play that part was a real honour. Um, I, I couldn't believe it at first, really, because we came up with this idea. We started at the Edinburgh Festival at the Fringe. Uh, got we sold out. You know, two months before we got there. So I thought, well, there's there's the audience. Is it any good? You know, is the show any good? Yeah. Uh, and then sort of celebrities started coming out of the woodwork saying that they'd seen the show and they loved it. And that led on to the West End run. And and then I did the Raw Variety performance in um, 2010. That was probably the most surreal time of my life mm. or surreal mm. day of my life, really. It was in Blackpool that year um, at the Grand Opera House there. Mm -hmm. like 3,000 people. And I was on stage, I mean, at the end, because we have to do the walk down and stand in the row. We met the Queen and Prince Philip and and uh, I was stood next to Mika on one side, the pop star, yeah. uh, and Paddy McGuinness on the other side, Gold, uh, Goldie, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, sorry, oh um, Lady Gaga. Uh, it was the year that Diversity won uh, uh, the uh, Britain's Got Talent, so they were on the show as well. Uh, Bette Midler, can you believe Bette Midler was there? It was so, so I was just standing there in my tuxedo. It'd be like a Thinking, dream. <laughs> and me, Michael Bublé, Catherine Jenkins, uh, Alexandra Burke. I mean, it was a big year. And I just sort of pinching myself looking around. Peter Kay was um, hosting it that year, uh, <laughs> dressed as a, a rabbit. Okay. <laughs> it was quite, it was like I was waiting for someone to come up and pinch me and say, nah, mate, it's just a dream, don't worry. But it really did happen. It was it was quite a crazy time. And then I toured toured the play up and down the country, England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, for the next um, well for the next two and a half years. 
then I had a break for a few months, six months or so. Uh, I did Panto. And then the producers of that Panto said, who are huge fans, Paul Hendy at Evolution Productions, he, he's a huge fan of Eric and Ernie. And he just went, Bob, I, I really want to redirect the play and take it out. So we did a big bells and whistles tour of, of wow. this one man play. So we, you know, plowed good money into it and had fly cues and, you know, specials and it went really well. Uh, so I toured that for another, uh, another year. So it was, oh. it's take, that's taken up a huge part of my life. He, he, he's had a massive influence on me. I made friends with the family, uh, with Eric's family, who I'm now still really good friends with. And they come here and we go to theirs. And I think getting the phone call from Gary, who's Eric's son, saying, oh, Bob, I'm, I'm at Mum's. Come up to the house. And so there I'm driving in my little mini, pulling up in the drive to Eric Morecambe's house, That's about insane. to have a cup of tea by the swimming pool given to me by Eric's wife and Eric's son sitting there dipping me biscuit in going oh I can't believe this I'm, I'm here so I've been very lucky and I think you know we've we touched on that before but without that luck I, I wouldn't have had all the twists and turns and I've always said to people that you don't really choose what you do in your career your career chooses what you do I like uh, at the beginning of my Mm. I, I always thought I was going to be a, a sort of serious Shakespearean actor. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. You, you trained for that. And then I started to do more comedy and then I started to do more musical stuff. So I did I spent a lot of time doing actor muso shows where you play and you sing and you're in the scenes as well. And that opened up other doors. And I think I didn't choose that. It just, I started getting the work because, oh, you, was really, you, you were really good in that show. We're doing another one similar. Come and be in this one. And, I was in the West End for two years with Elvis the musical and uh, Only the Lonely, the Roy Orbison story, which was incredible as well, which led then to do another tour in Finland. I was in Finland for two months doing a, a big Elvis concert as a backing singer, a rhythm guitarist and harmonica player. Yeah. It was, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, a, it's been a, a, a wild old ride, but it, that makes it sound really glamorous, but it isn't because there's the times when you're not working and that's, any actor will tell you they're they're pretty hairy, they're pretty scary, yeah. and I've never really had anything else I can do. In my younger days, I used to work in all the theatres in the West End front of house. I used to go and work tearing the tickets or what being in the bar or, mm. or yeah, but being in the crew because you've you still got your finger on the pulse there in the West yeah. End. You know what's going. You know every show that's on in every theatre. You know you know where they are. You can get discounts to go and see it because you work for a theatre, so you go and see a lot more. And, and I, I, yeah, I would recommend that certainly if, you, if you're quiet in between work or you're just starting out, just get to the theatres and work in them mm -hmm. because uh, there is a buzz about them. I remember I was at um, Phantom of the Opera when it was only a year old, the show. So it was huge. Michael Crawford was still in it. Michael Ball, they were, Michael Ball was cutting his teeth in the West End, you know, with it. Yeah. and that was an exciting time when you go to work and you pass 300 people in a queue around the block waiting for return <laughs> tickets to get in to see the show that was awesome mm. so yeah it's been an exciting time but you've got to get creative as you know all too well in in the quiet moments what about you what's your what's your what's the next stage for you obviously you've conquered the publishing world and the writing now, and yeah and the writing, I actually yeah. put my name down to um be in some theatre productions this year so I'm, I've got a meeting on Friday which is pretty cool. But I went to a panto the other day. It was Goldilocks and Three Bears. So I ended up being uh, Goldilocks Porridge. So I had a little, bo a little bubble hat on. And it was very silly. <laughs> uh, 
was a bit of fun. So what, what's the interview for? Is it for a specific production or are you just Yeah, they sent me a script. So I'm going to start reading it well, tomorrow when I've got time. Then oh, I'm going wow. to have a meeting on Friday. So just, you know, yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Best of luck with that, Lorna. What, what, what's the show? Do you know yet? Or I can't remember what it's called. It's, they, I only got the email yesterday, which she sent me the script. It hasn't been done yet, so... And this is all new to you. You're just reinventing yourself as a as a as a creative, as a performer and a yeah. writer, and a, that's amazing. So, what did you do before? Um, I worked in care for like sixteen years, looking after the elderly at hospitals. So I used to fix them up and send them home, and I worked in nurseries and schools and stuff like that. But I've always write. I've always wrote things. I've always written stuff. And then during Incredible. lockdown, I just decided to do it professionally. Well, you know, try. And then, yeah, I got my book published by Austin Macaulay in 2019. Then they were going to publish my next book. But I thought, no, sod you, I'm going to publish it myself. <laughs> so I started yeah. my own publishing company. And I've, I've published loads of books last year, loads. It's quite wow. scary because it's only me doing it. So it's a bit like, ah, it's really scary. Which, you know, that alone would be, you know, a huge achievement. But in the middle of all that, you've had five kids as well. Yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah. Just, just, five. A little, just, a little, just add that in oh yeah you're one of these super women I know you I know you you can do everything yeah get out there yes yes we <laughs> can I've seen that poster yes we can yeah and I started Quite my own right podcast too, as well for kids actually I want kids to do their own stuff so I've got a little radio station Brilliant. going on at the moment so amazing amazing well look I wish you all the luck in the world and if there's any way I can help obviously just you know you've got my number now so uh yeah and, and you've got my address so you know where I live now oh yeah yeah I'm gonna send you that book tomorrow for your daughter hopefully she won't hate oh, it chuck it in the river <laughs> thank you no we've got I mean we've got a few people that have um that have written books that we know and um uh Nikki's uh, cousin is a is an illustrator for children's books so and they're beautiful she's a really really nice beautiful uh, illustrator as well so we've had a few of those and Nella they're, they're our favorite books so it's if you've got a little link I think it helps doesn't it you you kind of promote the books a bit more yeah well Martin McCutcheon's mum I'm writing a book with her at the moment so I've got a few what? books going on so clang did you just drop that you just dropped that there Lola I'll <sighs> give that back to you there boom <laughs> Alert the media. Hello. <laughs> uh, yeah, they don't no, know who I am right. just yet. <laughs> Give it time. So this this show that you're going on to audition for, is that a professional production or is it just to get your confidence up to get on stage or what? Yeah, it's just that this theatre, it's like two hours away from me. So I can't remember what it's called. Titchfield? Two hours? Wow, that's a that's a journey. Yeah. But I'll I'll go there. I'll do it. It'll be fun. Yeah, you've got plenty of time. I know, I always do these things. <laughs> Actually, it's probably nice to, the, nice to get away from the kids for four or five hours. Isn't it? Oh, no, I love them. I love, I love hanging out with them. They're really funny. <laughs> They'll be there with you. You can't get away from them. No, I wouldn't want to. No, I love it. I love being a mum. <laughs> is, that, is that a guitar in the background I can see as well? This is my brother's room. So there's an exercise bike and all sorts of... Oh, yeah. Oh, there's a ukulele down there. Oh, it's a uke, is it? Okay. Oh, there's a guitar there and lots of camera stuff. But you don't play? I play the piano and I did the oboe as well for a bit, but made me very dizzy. I just wanted to learn how to play Gabriel's oboe, so I did it for a year and then I quit. My daughter Lily played the oboe as well. She was tiny. She was the smallest one in the class. And oh. I remember taking a picture of her and I put underneath it the littlest oboe, which I thought was quite clever. That's very sweet. Um, I'm showing my age there. Could you remember? Do you remember the TV show, The Littlest Oboe? No. There's that. Oh, there was a dog. 
a beautiful Alsatian and there was a famous theme tune and it went, um, there's a road, keeps on calling me, and the road, that's where I'm going to be. I know that song. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow, I'll just keep moving on. Remember? Oh, I know yeah, the song, I didn't know, yeah. That, that was the littlest hobo, you see, and I was being clever. Sorry, I'm wasted here. I played some toilets in my time. <laughs> well, it's been very nice talking to you, Bob, but I know your wife oh. is wanting her dinner. Yes, I've got to do me, me, me chicken curry I'm doing for her, so yeah. Oh, lovely. <laughs> I've done the prep, I've done the prep. I did that while I was supposed to be on, on the Zoom call with you but completely forgot all about it. So forgive me this for that. Disgraceful Bobby G. <laughs> Sorry, love. Sorry, love. <laughs> That's what my kids call me, Bobby G. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But oh, of course he was the, the lead singer of Bucks Fizz as well, wasn't he? Oh, I didn't know. I just too, called you Bobby G. You're too young to remember all that. I'm very young. I'm 39. <laughs> 89, did you say? What did you say? 39, how dare you? <laughs> but, oh. That, oh, you're coming up to the big 4-0. I know, in September. I need a party, don't I? Yes, I loved being 4. 40 is a great age to be. I always have a big party every 10 years. I had a massive one when I was 30, when mm. I was doing Twinkies. And then a really big one. I did a 1940s party when I was 40. Uh, I had a big Glenn Miller band. It was fantastic, pre-COVID, obviously. And then yeah. my 50th was two years ago, right slap bang in the middle. I had a big party planned. Um, on the coast down in Cornwall um, on the beach uh, and, and obviously it all had to be cancelled and we said oh don't worry we'll do it next year and of course last year just as bad as the year before so uh, I've kind of sneaked past 50 so I'm still you know th in theory I'm still I'm not 52 this year I'm actually 49 going on 50. Okay. That's, I think that's allowed isn't it? Yeah definitely maybe we should have a massive joint party and rock the world. Yeah, well, we did actually. I was I was toying with having like a hippie party. I love hippie and stuff. having like yeah, you and having like a, like a festival, like Woodstock kind of thing. But you need the weather, you know. You've probably got it down your neck of the woods, but not necessarily up here. It's always a bit soggy up here. But there we go. Yeah, a bit rainy. Anyway, it's been absolutely lovely chatting. I'm sorry we couldn't chat for longer, but um, like I say, if you need anything, any help, advice, or you know, for what it's worth, I'm not you know every one's cup of tea or expert on everything but I'll, if I can help I will. Well you certainly have this evening Bob thank you so much. That was the lovely Bob Golding speaking to me on Stories to Screen. Thanks for listening. Goodbye!